and welcome to another bonus episode of Screaming Through the Ages. I'm your host, Trey Whetstone here, and for this short little episode, I've got a review roundup where I'm going to give spoiler-free reviews of three newer-released movies. This originally was going to be more non-horror than a horror review episode, but there were two movies I watched that weren't horror, and I had to turn both of them off, actually, because I just wasn't into them. I do want to mention one in particular. So with Mad Heidi, that was one that was getting a lot of buzz, and this is why I'm wary of using Rotten Tomatoes for any kind of independent movie. Because this one has, I think I'm looking here, an 84% tomato meter, you know, fresh rating, and it has a 91% audience score. And honestly, this movie is so off-putting to me, and I couldn't get into it. Listen, I love dumb movies, and there were a couple of funny things here, but we're talking about to the level of, you know, you're getting it's set in Switzerland, and it's obviously a take on the old Heidi stuff. Um, but if you're lactose intolerant, then the president character played by Casper Van Dyne will have you rounded up and tortured to death with dairy products. So it's that kind of dumb. It's definitely that level of dumb. I didn't care for it at all. I turned it off after about 15 minutes in. That's about all I could stand of that movie. Do yourself a favor on this and watch a trailer. And if you like the tone of the trailer and the kind of humor it's going for, I think this movie will be for you. If not, if you're not liking what you're seeing in the trailer, stay far away from Mad Heidi. Okay, so I have three reviews to go over tonight, and they ended up all being horror movies, even though, you know, I wasn't setting out to do so. But first up, we have the angry black girl and her monster. So this is directed by Bumani J. Story and runs for 91 minutes. The tagline is death can be cured, which seems pretty straightforward tagline, but it does play into the plot at least. And the synopsis on this is, uh, Vicaria is a brilliant teenager who believes death is a disease that can be cured. After the brutal and sudden murder of her brother, she embarks on a dangerous journey to bring him back to life. So I didn't recognize any of the cast in this one in particular, um, but I know this one has been getting some buzz and was getting some buzz before its release. You can catch this one right now. You can rent it, but it is a shutter production and that does play at the beginning credits. So right now you can rent it on like Amazon, Vudu, all that kind of stuff. But I think very soon this one's going to show up on shutter. So you might just want to wait. And yeah, essentially this is pretty much what you you have with the the plot synopsis was pretty accurate. This main character, she is very intelligent, and we're introduced to that in the first scene. Um, she's definitely into science, but maybe she's a little too into science because, you know, she has a monologue where she's talking about death as a disease and all this different stuff, and she's going to set out to try to cure death. But my problem is, and I think this is a problem, but kind of makes the movie feel a little more real, I guess, is... Our main character here, very endearing in the first scene. I think both of the characters there are endearing. There's a character named Jada, and then we have our main character of Akaria, of course. 
And she is going essentially to this pretty much what it seems like a very rich all white school. I don't know if it's rich, but it is very much a high academic school. And she seems to be the only black student in that entire class. So already you kind of get that vibe of she's somewhere she probably people don't want her. They don't treat her right. And you do get some of that. And I think there's a confrontation early on. Like I said, you get very endeared to that character and the Jada character in kind of their little scene together. Then you have a scene at her school and there's a scene where a teacher is being, you know, kind of racist and overreacting a bit for sure. I don't excuse her actions by any means, but Vakari is not exactly innocent in this either. She kind of starts this whole thing and, you know, by interrupting class constantly. And, you know, regardless of I don't know what the past situations are. And it definitely didn't warrant the response that happened for sure. I don't think that's very cool, but you know, I was always raised. We don't interrupt the teacher on that kind of stuff. We don't basically take over the class from the teacher. I think that's reasonable, but the way the teacher reacted was not great. And that's about all we get with that. But you kind of learn that I think it plays into the angry black girl part of this movie because she is angry about everything, but she goes into how she, think she can cure death and all this stuff. And yeah, that's kind of sorry. That's what I I kind of want to use that to kind of segue into. There are no morally black and white characters in this movie. There's no um, purely good or purely evil characters. Essentially, what we have mostly are just gray characters. And I think that is a positive in the end because while there's no one person that we like all the time, is there a person in this world that you like all the time? I mean, I know there's definitely things that annoy you or things you'd want to change about probably almost anyone that you know in this world. And that's just the fact. And I think the the reality of that is you just learn to love and be around the person. I mean, for instance, we have Vicaria who has one set of ideas. And then we have her, I don't think it's her sister-in-law, but it's her... So her brother died. We learned that in the very opening scene and his I don't know if it's his girlfriend or his wife or anything like that. I think it's probably just his girlfriend. She is pregnant with his child. Those two have very different views on the world and they're kind of clashing at some points. But even still, you get the vibe that they love each other and they are you know, they are, they are friends or whatever it is or family really is what it says in this movie. And you do get the sense of that, even though they're not on the same page all the time. And I think we do have characters that have radically different views on these situations. I mean, these two are on opposite ends of the spectrum on different things. And then we have this great scene in a dinner table, and I'm not going to ruin any of it later on, but where Vicaria's dad is trying to make peace between them. And it just, uh, it ends with everyone kind of being in agreement, but not in like a compromising situation. I don't know. I don't know how to explain that one, but I love that dinner table scene later on. And there's so many facets of it. You know, there's the original scene where we do kind of have that argument and everything. Everyone's kind of at each other's throats. And then we have something, some bit of like horror happen. 
And then we have a moment of levity after that. And I think that's one of the better scenes in this entire movie. So I'm getting a little sidetracked here. What I essentially want to say is this movie starts off really good and has some very interesting points to it. And I think I really like the direction it was taking and the way it was trying to go about things. I mean, we get some a lot of science related stuff and a lot of Akaria working with science in this movie. And, you know, if you don't the second half of the title and her monster, she's trying to bring her brother back from the dead. You know, she sma- she snatched his body and is kind of trying to make a Frankenstein. And I like the way they go about that. There's a very disturbing scene early on involving a child. And I think there's some really poignant moments and some moments that hit really hard. Problem is, is as you get into this and you get deeper and deeper, is the movie just kind of devolves back to being a straight up like a rogue monster film or something like that. I don't know what to call it, but I really do like the design of the brother character in this. I don't want to call him a monster necessarily. It's just a human being brought back to life, which ends up being kind of monstrous. If you're looking for your gore and your blood and guts, you're going to get that here. And you're going to get that in uh, spades, really. There's a lot of violence in this movie. But it essentially just kind of falls back into where it started off with a lot of potential and maybe being something more than just a standard horror movie. It kind of just falls back into being something that's well-worn and something we've seen before. And I don't want to speak the intent. I of this filmmaker or anything like that. But the only way I could see that, you know, working out and then still it's a stretch because you still made a very much well trodden horror movie here that's gone into territory we've explored. But the only way I can think of that is if the message of this film is like, you know, well, no matter how much you try to change things, they never do. I don't know because I could see that being a theme. Because I feel like there's definitely people who feel that way out there is no matter what you do, no matter how you try to break out, there's no changes in this. And I think that's evidenced by, you know, there's there are typical villain characters in this, but I don't think any of them, like I said, are completely all bad. You have Congo, who is essentially this drug dealer in the neighborhood. But even he, you know, everyone in this movie sees themselves as the hero of their own story. And I think that's important. We don't have any mustache twirling. Congo's well aware of what he does, but he has his reasons for doing it. And whether or not you agree with that, I mean, I can't agree with it just in general. But I can understand where the character is coming from. And especially when we get later on and he has more interactions with Vicaria. I just think they're... There are some really good elements here and there's some really there's good acting. There's good um, character moments. I think there's a lot of stuff to like in this movie. Unfortunately for me, it just kind of falls back into standard fare a lot of the times. Where it could have been something completely different. I think there's still enough here to recommend this one. And definitely, I think my recommendation is going to be I would probably give this thing around a seven and would say check it out when it comes to Shudder, because I think it will be coming to Shudder probably, if I had to guess, I would say August or September, this thing would probably come to Shudder. It's going to do its VOD run, 
and then it's going to come a little later. But we don't know that for sure. But I would wait for it for Shutter. I think it's going to probably there are probably some people out there that are going to like it better than I did. And it's certainly less, you know, I called it well-trodden ground, but it's certainly less formulaic than the next movie I'm going to talk about. So that is The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. I think it is definitely a recommendation for you to check out before you make your end of the year list. Is it going to make a top 10? No, it's probably not going to make my top 25, but I think it's something that is worth checking out. All right, so next up is one called Run, Rabbit, Run. And this is one that I had been following for a little bit. I know it had made the festival circuit, and Nathan Bartleball, I think, saw this at Sundance and warned me that it might not be the um, the best movie or the most original movie. So this is streaming currently on Netflix. It debuted on Wednesday, June 28th. And this is directed by Dana Reed and runs for 100 minutes. The synopsis reads, Sarah is a fertility doctor with a firm understanding of the cycle of life. When she is forced to make sense of the increasingly strange behavior of her young daughter, Mia, she must challenge her own beliefs and confront a ghost from her past. Okay, that's just ridiculous because that doesn't even come into play. Her occupation and her belief system doesn't even come into play whatsoever in this movie. So you can forget about that. Essentially, what we have here is the character of Sarah, and Sarah has a daughter named Mia. She is separated from her husband. Her father has just died not too long ago, it seems like, and she is estranged from her mother, who is in, I guess it's like a nursing home I think she's in. But this is an Australian film, and it is set in Australia. And what you have here is with Sarah and Mia is Mia starts acting strange and just doing strange things and having some problems in school and all this stuff. And you could see that because she's trying to cope with the loss of her grandfather, who it seems like she had a good relationship with. But she's actually never met her grandmother who, because, you know, her mom is estranged from her. And she somehow, like, brings up one time that she misses Joan. Joan is what they call her grandmother. And she mentions that. So in this movie, you basically just have Sarah trying to figure out what's going on with Mia and and kind of coming to terms with everything that's going on with that. I'm not going to get too much into spoilers, I guess, on this one, in case you do want to check it out. Here's the thing with Run, Rabbit, Run, is it's very much we've gotten this wave of films in the last four or five years that are just trying to do they're they're trying to have a certain feel. I think Knocking was a similar one for me from a couple years back that I just didn't like. I thought it was trying to go for this prestige film, this elevated horror feel, and that's fine to do that. But a lot of the times, more often than not, you're just going to miss. And I think this is a decent miss. I mean, it's it's an all right movie, but at no point watching this movie was I enjoying myself. And that's not in a way of like content wise, like what I was seeing on screen was too brutal or painful for me to watch. 
it was just not a film that I enjoyed or got into. It's this movie where it thinks it's being profound, but it really isn't. And I mean, I'm not going to mince words. I haven't kept up to date as much on my 2023 watches this year with everything that's been going on with the podcast and other podcasts and things like that. But right now, this is number 20th on my list. It is the very last spot on my horror list for 2023. And not to say, I mean, I don't think I've seen very many bad movies because I haven't been seen that many and I've been more choosy when I have seen them. So where it's got some creepy elements, you know, the the Mia girl kind of shifting and transforming into something that she usually isn't her personality, her behavior changing. That's creepy. She also wears this rabbit mask and is also disappearing all the time. That's also pretty freaky as well. As a dad or a parent, and I'm pretty sure you could probably feel this even if you're not, like a child going missing is a pretty serious thing. And she seems to run off a lot. I will say the title definitely plays into what happened in the movie. So it's not just some random, you know, phrase being used. Um, It does tie into the plot, but I don't really have a lot to say on this one. It's very standard. It's very basic. There's not a lot here. There's not a lot of imagination. It's doing things that are well-worn and things that we've seen a lot of times before, but trying to present them as something new and revelatory. And they're really not. I mean, there are some cool moments. There are some creepy moments, like I said. But I'm struggling... I'm probably going to come in at like a 5.5 on this one. I'd say it's a tentative or a timid recommendation for you to stream on Netflix. If you have Netflix, it is included in your subscription, but don't know if I'm necessarily going to recommend you go out and check that one out. Not a lot to say on that one, but that is Run Rabbit Run. All right, so the last movie I have for the episode is The Wrath of Becky. And this is the anticipated sequel to the 2020 film, I believe, Becky. About a little girl whose dad is killed and Kevin James goes all neo-Nazi on her and she has to, you know, get out of that situation and survive any way she can. So this one is directed by Matt Angel and Suzanne Coote. And similar to the first movie, we do have two different directors working on this, but this is a completely different creative team than the ones that worked on the original Becky. The tagline is hell hath no fury, like a 16 year old scorned. I kind of like that. And it definitely gives the vibe of this trailer or of this movie. And the synopsis reads two years after she escaped a violent attack on her family, 16 year old Becky attempts to rebuild her life in the care of an older woman a kindred spirit named Alina. However, when a violent group known as the Noblemen break into their home and attack them and take her beloved dog, Becky must return to her old ways to protect herself and her loved ones. That's a pretty decent synopsis. And I do want to point out, you know, we had Kevin James in the last one. This one, we do have Sean William Scott playing this kind of his faction of people are called the noblemen and they're very much like, I don't, I don't know what to call them. They're kind of insurrectionist, honestly. And they're kind of just all around D bags, but 
I mean, I only really liked one out of the entire group. But here's a little history is I think I came in at like a six on Becky, the original. I wasn't very high on it. I thought it was fine. And I didn't really have the reaction to it that other people did. But Wrath of Becky. And I have a problem with the genre tags here of thriller, action and horror, because while I do agree with that order, I don't think that comedy has been mentioned. And I think this movie has a lot of black humor in it or dark humor. And I think humor in general, I found this movie to be pretty funny. What we have here is Wrath of Becky is a pretty dumb movie, but it's a fun, dumb movie, and it only runs for 83 minutes. It's a quick, snappy runtime. And there's like I said, there's a lot of over the top dumb stuff that happens, but it's all fun and it never takes itself too seriously. And from what I remember. That's not how the original was. I think the original was a pretty serious film. You know, in this one, we see Becky and she's kind of in the foster system, but she breaks out and keeps going back to this woman, Elena's house. And their relationship, honestly, is pretty endearing. I like it. Uh, It's a very good relationship they have with each other. And then Becky is very much this sarcastic little angsty teen. And you get why she is. But I love the scenes with her at this diner. And I love that she works at and I... I just absolutely love Lulu Wilson in this movie. And this is something that I I didn't expect really at all. I expected to just be fine on this movie, but I was like, you know what? I'll check it out. I think the best thing is it just doesn't take itself too seriously. It's very much like fast paced. It moves along. It doesn't spend too much time on one thing. But, um, you know, when this opens, we get Becky's kind of backstory. So it does recap a little bit of the first movie. And then we see her in a foster home, but share it. And she kind of like has a situation with that where she gets out of it. And I think that's all very funny. And then again, I got endeared to this character when she's living with this Elena woman. So that's what we're dealing with here. It is quirky. It is kind of funny and it is over the top for sure. But wow, Wrath of Becky is a lot of fun and a lot more fun than I thought it would be. Essentially, you have the same though kind of revenge plot here you know they took her dog she's out to get her dog back as her main goal and she stumbles upon this kind of you know she was dealing with some neo-nazis at first these are more like i don't know what you would make them the equivalent of they're led by sean william scott who is like this ex military man who was in the middle east and he's a bit off his rocker but i actually like the character a lot the character of twig in this movie I think he's pretty funny, and again, it's very much poking fun. And that's, by the way, that is Courtney Gaines, who was in Children of the Corn, plays Twig, and I think he does a fantastic job here. I just can't believe right now that I'm glowing and gushing about this film because I never expected to. The -the over-the-top crazy violence is still here. It does get pretty brutal and pretty bloody and pretty gory. But again, it never takes itself too seriously. And I do don't remember. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember at all that first film having that nice sense of humor. But there's not really much more to talk about with this one because it is very straightforward. It's 83 minutes. It's a very basic plot. But it's one that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I'm going back and forth on this one as far as what to give it. 
I kind of want to just give it an eight, but I'm not sure. I, you know, I'm going to stick with a. No, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and with an eight. I've been kind of negative on this episode. Let's give it an eight. Definitely get out there and stream it. It's a seven dollar rental right now. If you're not looking to pay that, I'm sure it's going to be streaming somewhere later or it'll be cheaper rental. But Wrath of Becky is one of the surprises of this year. I mean, I don't know ultimately if it's going to be something that makes a top 10 list, but I would bet that this would make a top my top 25 at the end of the year. I don't know either way, but Wrath of Becky is definitely one you need to check out. So that's going to do it for this little bonus episode. Again, let me know how you're liking these. And if you want me to keep doing more of them, I have some ideas for things in the future as new releases come out. And also, I want to hear your thoughts on these movies if you have seen them or, you know, if you go and watch them. Just let me know what you think about these movies, what your thoughts on them are and where you would come in at, because I'm always curious to see what you guys are thinking. All right, well, you can follow the podcast over on Twitter at Screaming Ages or join the open Facebook group at Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. I'd always appreciate it if you tell your friends and leave reviews and subscribe on the podcasting services of your choice. I'm not sure when this will release, so I'm not sure what the next episode will be. But I know the most recent episode would have been the 1993 horror movies, one that I did with Nathan Bartlebaugh. You can also find me over on Horror Movie Podcast, where we just put out a five-hour episode uh, probably a couple weeks from the time you're hearing this, where we discussed the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. We gave our summer horror preview. We have some streaming reviews, and I have a couple on there that are lesser known or lesser mentioned horror films that I think you're going to want to check out for a lot of slasher fans. So tune into that one if you haven't already. And with all that being said, keep your eyes on your favorite podcast feed for your next bi-weekly horror movie history lesson. Mm-hmm.